So hello, everybody. Welcome to the Black and Behavior podcast, episode four. My name is Nicole Robinson. Jeremy Roberts. Mm-hmm. Aaron McCollum. Yes. And um, today we're going to be talking about emergency service workers, specifically cops, and um, how that interacts with uh, us working in the ABA field and how it interacts with um, young children of color. And I'm going to start this podcast off by saying Black Lives Matter. Um, (laughs) We're just going to put that out there first and foremost. In case you didn't already know, which you should have. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, um, so Black Lives Matter. And yeah, the, the... Man, cops, right? So, <laughs> I, I have, I, I think I've had like one positive experience with a cop in my whole life. I, I had my car stolen and I had to call a cop and I was so terrified to do so, but he was just like, ah, car stolen, I'll put in a report. And he left and I was like, huh, there we go. One positive experience with a cop. Thank you for helping me find my car. And it was found. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Every single other experience, terrible. <laughs> Never. I actually have, so I have a friend who is Black, who is a cop. Um, and he and I even have had some exchanges, some heated exchanges about cops and policing. Um, I have also, my car was broken into, mm-hmm. and I had a um, positive interaction with that particular cop who was also Black as well. Um, but like you, every other (laughs) experience was not great. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that the person who did help me come, or who who did help me find my car, was a person of color cop. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I've never had a positive experience with a white cop. Um, Sharon, did you want to share? I mean, I, I just get so nervous. Like I went, um, I grabbed coffee uh, downtown last weekend and um, I was sitting outside and um, there was like a big group of police officers and they were drinking coffee too. And they decided to sit like right next to me. And I'm like, oh, I just like, even though I'm not doing anything wrong, I still always feel very nervous and uneasy, especially like if I'm driving and I see that a a cop is behind me, Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that I'm going like the speed limit. And I just feel like nervous. Oh, like you can can be the most law abiding. This is truly a topic within itself, y'all. Oh, yeah. You could could be the most law abiding citizen as a black person and still feel the need to sit up straight when you see a cop. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it, it, it has become we have been that traumatized by everything we've seen exactly. and experienced um, regarding police that that's just, that's our reality now. Yes. Right, which is why I really hate when people are like, well, if, if that person would just follow the law, if that person would just comply, I feel like that's such a common thing that some people will say. Mm. And we know that's not always the case. That oh, there are plenty of stories of people complying and they still get killed. So yeah. I don't even want to hear that. Yeah, no, don't don't ever say that to anybody, listeners. No. Like people, I've 
like if you if you follow the hashtag blank while black it, it 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 has a whole list of things that people have been doing when they had unpleasant um interactions with cops and um, some of them are sitting on your own porch eating ice cream <laughs> all of a sudden a, a it's it's like you can be doing any aspect of living and a cop will find a problem with it right like sleeping in your own bed and oh, yeah, there's not doing anything there's like you're yeah. not safe anywhere and it has been this way since the inception of cops like yeah. it, like uh the institution of cops was founded on um uh kind of brutalizing people of color like that's what they were made for and mm -hmm. that's what they're still doing you know 200 years later so it's, it is what it is. Yeah. So if you are just driving and you see a cop behind you, it is valid that your generational trauma makes your life flash before your eyes because there's nothing you can do to be right. Honestly, we are so over-policed that anything even just existing in the skin, waking mm -hmm. up this way could put you in danger. And I have, um, I have talked to many a black people about how they think that they're perceived by cops and how they go about trying to protect themselves. Like when they get pulled over, maybe trying to put on classical music or turning off their music completely, which, you know, that is an us experience. Or um, even if you don't have kids putting like children's plushies in your back window so that when a cop pulls you over, they think that you're a family person and maybe that will deter them from hurting you. Um, like whenever my younger brother got his first car, I was tempted to go to the store and get him a whole bunch of plushies to stick in his back window to um, so that if and when he's pulled over, a, uh, a cop might be like, oh, he's got a kid. So that means like mm -hmm. he's... I, I need to actually use de-escalation with him because he's got a family to go back to. And it really shouldn't be like that. I know. That shouldn't be my first reaction when I hear my brother gets a license, you know? It's, I've, I had a very recent conversation um, that's very similar to that. Um, and by recent, I genuinely mean within the past couple of days. I'd, I have had, um, they're actually right here now because I took them down, but I, I had these shoes that belonged to my nephew when he was a baby Aww. in my hanging from my um, rear view mirror in my, in my car. And my friend was like, you need to take those down immediately because that's a reason for a cop to pull you over. And he's like, at this point, you don't need to be taking any chances. You know what I mean? So I took them down. I, I took them down. <laughs> what? You're hanging from your rear view? Yeah, they were hanging from my rear view mirror. And that's illegal? I believe so. Yeah, because there was that recent story. Remember? Uh, I forget his name. I'm going to have to look it up. But um, oh, yeah. and that, that was the reason they pulled him over. Yeah. It was up north somewhere. Yeah, they pulled him over. They pulled a young black man over for having, or the reason that they gave him was because there was something hanging from his rearview mirror. Right. I think it was an um, air freshener, wasn't it? I don't even know what it was. Something something that wasn't bothering anybody is what it was. Mm -hmm. And they pulled him over. Yep, I feel sad. Which is ridiculous because it's like, why are you pulling someone over for something so silly? Like, don't you have something more important to do? Like, why now this this uh, guy is dead? And I, I he was really young, too. I forget his he age. Was very but, young. He has a he had a child. Um, 
it just is crazy how like something like that could just escalate to someone losing their life. Like, how does that even happen? Um, it just does. <laughs> my issue with the police is that when they do pull you over, it's like they're you're met with hostility right from the gate. And then you're expected to stay calm. But it's like, how are you supposed to stay calm when someone's automatically barking at you mm -hmm. for doing something so silly, like a minor traffic stop? Apparently, um, this person's name was Dante Wright. Yes. Yeah, I was I was trying to find it. Thank you. I felt so bad that we didn't know. <laughs> so I was like, we mm -hmm. have to find this. Yeah, I was so going to look it up you. on my phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Man. There's just uh, so many hashtags and so many names that, like, how can you not freeze up? And I feel like cops should be situationally aware to the point where, at this point, if they pull a Black person over, they should expect for that person to be sitting in their trauma, probably definitely, most definitely. Um, and they should be prepared for that. Like, they should walk up to that person knowing that that person is definitely panicking for their life absolutely because of, um, because of the news and because of history and they should be prepared to handle a potential um, mental crisis like if when when if and when a cop pulls a black person over um that black person is like sitting there they're they're thinking that these that this could be like the last breaths that they're taking they're they're probably having their life flash before their eyes and they're going to do what anybody else who is like hit that point of like that fight or flight um the like they they should be expecting it and they should be prepared to de-escalate and prepared to be nice and like talk to them um and not yell at them they should know that they need to use um they need to have some sense if because like we like of course we have the capacity but like we might not be in a mindset and it they should understand that it should be perfectly understood mm -hmm. <laughs> that um, we might be panicking and they should be prepared for that. So like, I don't know. I feel like there should be like a three year grace period where you're just not allowed to pull black people over. <laughs> you just, just stand on the road. <laughs> Leave me alone. I, I swear, I feel like every time a cop passes me and they see me and then they like slow down to get into my blind spot, I feel like I, I get my plates run like at least three times a month. Like every time a cop passes me, I swear they run my plates. I swear they do. I, I wish there was some data out there that will tell you how often your plates are run, ran and checked. Oh, wow. That would be, man. <laughs> yeah, I would want to know that too. I want to know, really and I want to know how much more often my my plates get ran and checked than my roommate, my white roommate. I want to know that data because I swear, like, <laughs> white people can get away with anything on the road, and like, but yet I'm the one who is following all of the rules, and yet I'm getting my plates run three times a, a month, you know? Yeah. Uh, because I'm that much more over policed than you know other people, and we all are. So it's like. If we're having trouble with dealing with this, like how are autistic kids dealing with this when they first get their license? How are we going to protect them? Um, and how are we going to protect ourselves when we're driving every day to get to our clients' houses? Right. Um, 
it's, it's definitely worth talking about. Definitely. Um, in Portland, do you see other cops of color? It depends on what city I'm in. When I'm in Portland, no. I know that they're around, but um, when I'm like, when I'm looking into cop windows and when I'm seeing cops just like, you know, at restaurants or, you know, drive-thrus or whatever, they tend to be extremely white. I know that in Portland, there is a, a black chief of police, but he was just kind of plopped there at the um, height of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. And wow. you know, a lot of a lot of people did that. I don't even think he asked for the p position. Like it was, um, <laughs> it was Danielle Outlaw, and um, she was awful. And then it, she she left to go be the chief of police somewhere else. And then it was some white lady who was there for like a month or two. And then after that, it was um, now it's this a uh, black guy, and it. I don't think things have gotten any better just because uh, a black man is the the chief of police right now. I don't know how much power he has. I, I don't know if it's a publicity stunt. I don't know anything. I just know that I fear for my life when I see a cop running my plates and I am thanking every good power out there that exists that I don't have anything on my police record because the, the way that my plates are ran, I, I swear, if I had anything on my police record at all, I would get pulled over all the time. So can we point out the irony in having a chief of police whose last name is Outlaw? Or did, I, did I mishear you? Or was that her no, last name? Her name was Danielle Outlaw. And she was when when she became the chief of police she like dethroned this like super racist weirdo and i was really excited i was like oh yes a black woman named danielle outlaw chief of police and then she just made things worse because she gave everybody a scapegoat she's like well i'm a black woman and i say it's okay oh. and then like whenever whenever um white you know white cops are messing up they can point to danielle outlaw and be like well she's my boss <laughs> so wow. you really can't say anything and it just i feel yeah. like her being in charge of things really erased a lot of the um urgency that protesters and you know whistleblowers and everything said because they could look at it's like well my friend danielle outlaw is also a black woman <laughs> and she's yeah. like, Right. And that's what a lot of racist people say, like, oh, well, I have a friend that's black. I have mm -hmm. a coworker that's black. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, that's what that reminds me of. That's exactly what the Portland Police Bureau did. Now, now a black man um, runs the Portland Police up here, I believe. But I haven't heard of anything getting any better. So it's okay. like mm -hmm. it, having a black chief of police doesn't help in my even make things worse for people who want, you know, justice and whatnot, because they have a scapegoat. So it's wow. rough. It's rough out there. But yeah, I was very excited about Danielle Outlaw when she first came around, but it didn't make anything any better. Her last name was cool, though. I have to admit. Yeah, cool last name. <laughs> yeah. That's so unfortunate, though. Yeah, it really is. Such a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, oh boy, I have tons of awful cop stories, but I don't even think we need to get into that. That's not, <laughs> maybe we can, but um, I, I'm just going to let listeners know I have not, I have not really had any positive experiences with police. I more often have horror stories, absolute horror mm. stories, absolute 
horror stories. So know that um, that has happened to me. <laughs> and um, not only do I worry for myself, but I worry for like all black people. And I especially worry for, um, you know, kids with disabilities or people with disabilities who might not be who might not be able to silver tongue their way out mm -hmm. of a situation or who might not be the best at following orders as soon as they're told to them or might, you know, any, any kind of, um, any kind of social, uh, dip that anybody might have could land you where it could land you on a hashtag basically. Mm -hmm. So um, this is one of the reasons why I do want to be a speech pathologist so that I can maybe help save lives and teach kids how to communicate, especially when they're in crisis, especially when, if and when they get pulled over. So it's like really wow, important. What is, that's such a deeper meaning yeah. to speech pathology. Like I don't, I don't think the large majority of people are thinking to themselves, oh, I need to do this so that I can save a life. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Change a life, maybe, but save a life? That's yeah. such a completely different dynamic. Yeah. That's heavy. <laughs> it's so heavy. It is. It's wow. extremely heavy, but it's so important. Could you imagine having communication issues and then being confronted with the cops? Or maybe even, like, not even communication yeah. issues, but any any kind of social dip. Any kind of social dip could land you in a hashtag. And it's like, one of the reasons why I love doing what I do and one of the reasons why I want to go back to college to become a speech pathologist so that I can save lives. It's very important to me that young kids know how to silver tongue their way out of a really tense situation where um, a cop is not going to deescalate and they're not going to make concessions for you just because you're disabled. So it's like I it's very close to my heart that i mean and not even just cops right teachers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um they they need they we would want them to have the ability to as you say silver tongue their way out of situations with with people that they're around even more regularly than cops mm -hmm. because as at one as a black person um you know your your skin is viewed as a weapon a lot of the time so they have that working against them and then they mm -hmm. have their disability working against them. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it goes well beyond, <laughs> it goes well beyond what we know to be so common um, with cops. But I mean, man, it happens everywhere else too. And with, with all other people and professions. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. We're only talking about the black experience. I think Definitely. the, um, there's there's other people of color who have statistics just as bad, if not worse, <laughs> than than um, the the black experience. And um, we have a lot of visibility, but not all people of color do. So it's just like, you know, I I I, I feel for all of us. As, mm -hmm. as, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a story. Um, it happened last year, Elijah McLean. Do you guys yeah. remember that? Where he was walking and he's on the spectrum too. And mm -hmm. someone called the police because they felt like he was engaging in some bizarre behaviors, but he was just literally walking home and then he ended up getting killed as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for me, it's just hearing those stories are just so disturbing. And um, I'm wondering what kind of training police officers get uh, for people on the spectrum and how to de-escalate. Is there even training involved? I would hope so. 
but do you guys know if they're getting specific training on people with, you know, ASD or maybe some other kind of um, no. diagnosis? <laughs> no. I, I think I just want to know, is the training even good enough? Is it even, like, for someone who is racist, getting that kind of, like, training, is that even, like, what I mean, is it actually going when, to do? I'm, when I'm sorry, but... That, when we've seen it in the news, when we when we've seen this specific discussion being had in the news, we have seen whole police departments fighting against having training at all that involves diversity and inclusion and de-escalation. Even like they don't want that. They feel like what they are currently doing is fine. So no, it doesn't. That does not exist. That is yeah. not something that the large majority of police departments or unions want. They don't want it. They don't yeah. want it. They don't I want it. And what does that training actually consist of? Is it just like watching a video, a 30 minute segment exactly. like that you could be completely ignoring? Exactly. So, I don't and know that's the other thing too, you have to, that's a, that's a great point, Sharon, because the other thing too, is for a, a training like that to be effective, you have to give a damn. Period. Mm -hmm. You have to care. Exactly. <laughs> and that saying. definitely does not exist. We have been shown time after time that that does not exist. Mm -hmm. So training or not, do you care? About <laughs> do you people? care? Right. Do you want to protect people, serve and protect people? Or are you there to, you know, have a gun out there like it's the Wild West like, and enforce no, yourself over people? Like, yeah, again, in, in order to put your training in, you definitely have to give a damn in the first place. And, right. and I think you should be from that community as well. I think the issue is that we have a lot of police officers who are policing communities that they're not even from that they don't care about and that they don't understand so i think that's a big problem right there and they only go into when they're working like even even when they're not you know on duty they're not in those communities they don't even drive right. past or near them yeah. they know shouldn't nothing that be about mandatory, that like outside of work shouldn't that be part of the job is that you are giving to the community and some other capacity besides arresting people That'd be nice. As a public servant, yes, you would think yep. so, but clearly yeah. not the case. I just, like, let's go back to Elijah McClain, this, this sweet young Black boy mm -hmm. who played the violin for animals at mm -hmm. the homeless shelter. Do you really think de-escalation would have been needed for a kid like Elijah McClain? No. It, it's like, I feel like, mm -hmm. I feel like, um training quote unquote the cops just need more training yeah that that's an excuse they just need empathy in any scope they need to care and they don't um i don't think you can train that into somebody uh, and um cops are not facing repercussions like cops have there are some cops that went to the uh the um the january insurrection and they didn't even get a slap on their wrist there are cops that post um like nazi propaganda on their social media and it's just kind of like <laughs> stay clear of you know whoever over there and um like uh just uh, you know and it's just like what will actually get a cop fired like is it it, it should be more than it is. It, it should be as soon as they display an us versus them mentality, as soon as they say a slur, as soon as they, um, as soon as they use 
use excessive force, as soon as they do any of those things, it should land them without a job, which is not the end of the world. People there's just no accountability at yeah, all. There's no accountability there's at no all. There's no accountability, even for killing someone. I mean, any other position, a doctor doing that, they'd be let go that, that day. You would actually um, but for some reason, there's no accountability within the police department. Um, it, I think it's the culture that's just so toxic that they don't hold other people accountable. Um, oh, and if a cop does hold another cop accountable and actually reports them for doing or doing or saying something that is inappropriate, then that cop, the whistleblower, gets blacklisted and oh, yeah, and um, gets the black spot and gets fired and um police stop, stop um, responding to their calls. Like if they ever need any help, police stop responding to the calls of the ex-cop. So it's like, I, I've read a lot of stories of cops that do care and report other cops and the cops that report other cops are the ones that get fired. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a culture. It's a whole culture. Mm -hmm. It's a whole system yeah. of people who just don't care. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what at what that's what's at the foundation of it. Like these people have not signed onto this job to protect, mm -hmm. at least not protect everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what this is the result of it. The result of it is Elijah McClain. Yeah. And so whenever I see somebody say not all cops, I'm just kind of like, well, then I need the good cops to start reporting the bad cops. And period. To be reported. So if there's not good cops reporting the bad cops, then there's no good cops because yeah. you're either bad because you're racist or you're bad because you're complaining. Exactly. I literally had a discussion with my friend um, about that too. And I I almost ended the friendship right then and there because I just was not liking anything that she was saying. And she has family members that, you know, were police officers and whatever. And that was what she was saying to me. Well, I don't think that all cops are bad. And I felt like she was being completely dismissive of what I was saying. And for me, it's like, you might as well be saying all lives matter. To me, that's like the equivalent of saying that. Um, and for me, it's, it's pure gaslighting when somebody says that. And yeah. I say that because there isn't a soul. There is not a black person on this planet that ever says that it is all cops. I've I have never heard anyone say it is all cops. We are talking specifically about the cops who do the things like kill Elijah McClain. Mm -hmm. Those are the cops we're talking about. So of course we know it's not all cops. Just like we know it's not all white people who are racist. We know that but we're not talking about them. We don't need to talk about them because they get it. At least we would hope they do. So don't gaslight, don't gaslight me. Exactly. Because now yeah. I'm even more of it. And yeah. Don't, but don't. also too, like how can you have a good cop in a system that is so corrupt and racist? Um, I don't know. I mean, I do, I will, I will say that I do genuinely believe that there are a faction of people who enter that field with the desire to make a change. Like they say to themselves, I'm going to be the one who makes the change. 
Mm-hmm. And then they get there and realize that they are one person taking on an entire system wow. that was created hundreds of years ago for the sole purpose of oppressing people. Mm-hmm. That I is see. that is that's that's an immense pressure for one person. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, and that faction of people is so tiny compared to the amount of people that enter just because you don't have to have a degree. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, easy. It's really you know, surprised me. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. You don't have to I have mean, a degree? There, there are cops, as, as a matter of fact, there are cops that have criminal records. And, there are cops um, that have criminal <laughs> records. Like, it's yeah. a thing. It's and a thing. I think you can even still become a cop, even if you fail your psych eval. Like, if you go in there and you start spouting racist propaganda during your psych eval, and you fail your psych eval because they're just like, you're not here to, like, serve and protect people, there are still routes that they can go through to still become a cop, even if they fail their psych eval. Do you know if the psych eval is ongoing, or is it just a part of the hiring process? I don't know. Mm. I think... I think... I think that evals are done again when incidents happen. Like if they have to use um, their gun at some point, I think that there's a process after that where they have to receive an eval as well. But I don't think that it's a like monthly or yearly type of thing at all. Mm, I could be wrong. I mean, and and I don't want to speak from a place of of saying it like I know, but I, Mm -hmm. I don't think that that exists. Okay. Our friend is saying that it's during the hiring pra- uh, process and after certain instances, like mm-hmm. if they hurt or kill somebody or, you know, something like that, then there's a, like another psycho bell. But like even yeah. I, I have heard of instances where uh, the person running the psycho bell just like this is a dangerous person who has zero empathy. Doesn't I do not recommend them for this job. Um, they can still have their job. Yeah, I've heard that, too, actually. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's 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 troubling. <laughs> the police it's are troubling. It's a whole system. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And um, the entire Blue Lives Matter uh, whole thing, it just exists to gaslight Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah. How do you compare a profession to waking up? Like, yeah, exactly that. You chose to do that job. I can't believe, I just, I cannot believe that somebody is comparing somebody's job to my entire life that, you know, I basically did not choose. I did not choose to be born black, but yet um, I am black. I love being black. I'm proud to be black, but yet that person, when they put on a suit is more important than my entire life. Their job is more important than my life. That's what blue, um, blue lives matter means to me. And I just cringe whenever I see one of those stupid little flags. I hate it. <laughs> I hate that back the blue flag. I'm like, oh, what about my life? Seriously. But, mm-hmm. And and so we're we're obviously speaking from a place of um persons who at least at least me, let me speak for myself. I speak from a place as a person that does not have a disability. So mm-hmm. Imagine, <laughs> I just imagine. I, I think part of me is even grateful that, you know, even some of the kids that we work with, 
have no idea that any of this exists mm-hmm. or that any of this goes on. I'm grateful that they won't ever have to understand that their skin is a weapon. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but for us, for us as as professionals in this field, as people who are working with these kiddos, um, I've I've had experiences where I'm teaching a kid or they have like they have a target where I have to teach them their community helpers mm-hmm. and I have to express to them that you can go to police for help when that is not what I feel in my heart. Yeah. That's, and that's not what I have myself experienced. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's heavy. That is yes. that is heavy. Mm-hmm. Um and and truly a dissonance because the battle that you the battle that you fight within yourself having to say these things um knowing that they're not true like you're you feel like you're lying you feel like you're lying to this kid yeah. you know you're lying to yourself <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. like how do y'all deal with that oh, so yeah i um I had to teach, I want to say, let uh, a let's play cop school to like a little um, Vietnamese boy. And um, he hated the goal. He didn't want to play cops. He was more of a Legos kid. But um, my BCBA was just like, (laughs) my BCBA was just like, um, if if somebody wants to, if somebody invites him to play cops, he's got to know what that means. So teach the goal. And um, she was sitting there watching me overlapping and I had to teach a let's play cop school. And I was looking at her and looking at him and looking at her and I'm looking at him and I'm like, everything, <laughs> I was just like, I don't even know how to play cops. Exactly. I, I'm just like, uh, get down on the ground. <laughs> Please get down on the ground. <laughs> this is not fun. I don't want to play this. <laughs> Um, I, I've never had a fun, you know, jovial play experience with cops. What would that even look like? Um, I I had no idea. I, I had to go like talk to another BCBA. I talked to her about it. I was like, I have no idea how to play this goal. I don't want to play this goal. He doesn't want to play this goal. And she was just like, it's an important goal. Do it. And I'm just like, mm. I'm going to disagree. There's so many other pretend play scenarios that you can you can do you know yeah Yeah. and another one was cowboys let's play cowboys but yeah and i i I brought up my concerns to her and uh she was just like "Hmm, my father was a cop as if that was going to be the final say on teach this goal and so i just kind of went over her head eventually and i was like look i'm not gonna teach this goal because i don't know how to play cops like i even get upset even just thinking about it um uh, when it comes to giving therapy to white kids, I think it's a little bit easier in my, I know that like white people are not immune to the brutalization by cops, but mm-hmm. I know that it is way, 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 way less common for them. And so I'm just like, oh yeah, if you need to, you know, know personal safety information, if you get lost in the store, it is okay for like a little white girl to go up to a cop and say, hey, I lost my mom. Here's my name. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Here's what city I live in. Um, Help me find my mom. It's fine for her. But like, where is the line though? Like, 
Um, I'm a black person teaching her this goal, feel more comfortable with it. But like, if, if you are a black person teaching a little autistic black kid, cops are great. <laughs> um, give them your, you know, safety information. It's okay to tell them what city you live in, your mom's telephone number, because they're there to actually help you. You, you do feel like you're lying and cops are not there to help black people. It is way more dangerous to go call a cop and ask a cop for help than it is to just figure it out on your own. And that's how a lot of people in the community feel. And you raised like you raised some very interesting points in just what you said there. And I never thought about it until you just said it. But I don't know how to play cops either. Yeah. Because that was never a thing that we were taught to play. And mm -hmm. and I've never I, I never thought about it from that perspective, but our parents probably were like, we're not going to teach you how to, we're not gonna play that with you, and we're not gonna teach you how to play that. Because our experience too probably has been that they're not something fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that is really wild that I've never even thought about that. I've never mm -hmm. even thought about that. I mean like cops and robbers, um cowboys and you know, quote unquote cowboys and Indians. I'm like, I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna play any of that. <laughs> that's not play to me. Um, I mean, like I could understand getting like a cop core and maybe just going wheel, 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 wheel. Like that's that's the extent of. Uh, but even that, it just trauma. I don't mm -hmm. want to do it. It's not fun. It's not play to me. Um, so <clears throat> don't don't make your black BCBAs and or no, don't make your black BTs play cops or cops and robbers or even cowboys and Indians for that matter because that's dated. Just don't do it. <laughs> How have you guys typically taught community helpers to your clients? Hmm. Um, mo recently, I had a kiddo who had a goal where they were matching the community helper to where they worked. So we had a picture oh. of um, a police station. We had a, a picture of a fire station and pictures of people dressed in their uniforms and they would just have to match um, okay. the community helper to where they worked. Um, it, that didn't feel any type of way to me because I'm not telling them, I guess, that this is this is who is helping you in the community. I'm, yeah. I don't know, but it's just it's like more so, right, just identifying um, workplaces is really how, and maybe that's what I told myself. So like subconsciously too, teach this goal you know maybe i was just like okay well you're just showing him that these people work at this location and that's it you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> but i'm sure that the goal is to help him identify that these are community helpers mm -hmm. that's why the name of the goal is community helpers mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, so um, I know, Sharon, you said something about um, crisis plans for uh, behavior or behavior support plans. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was just doing um, a little bit of research and going through some things on the hub. And there is a resource called uh, Treatment Plan Report Writing and Review Clinical Standard. And it kind of goes over on 
um, like how to write a report. And then it also mentions the uh, behavior support plan and crisis protocol. And it does state in there that um, clinicians should think about other um, people to call in emergencies besides 911 or the police. And they listed a few, um, a few suggestions. One of them being, let me pull it up. <clears throat> Um, alternatives to 911 include social workers, mental health providers specializing in supporting ASD populations, psychologists, uh, trauma-informed management teams. Mm -hmm. um, the fire department could also be another source. Um, in the standard, it also lists like specific links to different um, resources. Mm -hmm. And it also mentions um, including this information in um, sub-info sheets. Um, also, it says consider printing, laminating, and posting multiple quick reference crisis plan cards around the home. And then also, too, um, in the initial assessment process when you're um, conducting like a parent interview, just asking the parents their preference if there was an emergency, what community helpers do you feel comfortable interacting with? Which is really, that's a good point because I've never asked that um, during an assessment. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. What community helpers do you feel comfortable interacting with? That is so powerful. And then like posting little post-its around the house mm -hmm. that you can grab in the event of an emergency and not call the cops because they don't know how to de-escalate. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. so good. Um, I know in the Portland or in the Portland area, we are training people to um, do a what's it called? It's called Cahoots. Yeah, we we are training people for the Cahoots program um, in Eugene. They have a fully functional Cahoots program, which is instead of cops, um, it is a team and a van. They're unarmed, and it consists of a crisis interventionalist and a medic. And they go around and um, de-escalate situations. They mostly handle um, mental crisis and the homeless population. Um, and they they take about, I want to say, 30% of cop calls. And they wow. take about um, 10 to 12% of police budget. So, like, they are basically worth their weight in gold because they're taking 30-plus more percentage of the cop calls and handling it with nothing but a crisis interventionalist and a medic both unarmed and um i want to see more more organizations like cahoots and other places i know that cahoots is trying to have a portland division because lord knows we need it over here and um i think they're tr they're training they're training people to do the cahoots program and they're going to try it in like the small section of Portland and if it is successful um, going to do the rest of Portland. But um, right now it is uh, still in its very, very baby stages. And um, I, 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 I'm guessing that Cahoots doesn't have a lot of support because um, like nobody wants to defund the police and fund a program like Cahoots, which would be amazing for so many people. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for Cahoots. A lot of people are excited and we're like all fighting for it. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think yeah. you need that everywhere. 
They do. It makes sense too, because those people actually went to school for that. They're educated in specifically dealing with certain populations. So it makes sense for them to handle those kinds of situations. Especially with things that are not like, um, not life-threatening. Like you haven't seen your neighbor in a while and their grass is overgrown and you want to do a wellness check. Well, do you, Black people have ended up dead because of wellness checks. Just, mm -hmm. is this person alive? <laughs> Not anymore. So it's like, I would be way more comfortable um, asking an, uh, an organization like Cahoots to go and do a wellness check than I would a cop because cops, are, cops do cop stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cops do cop stuff. Yeah. But yeah, um, there are other programs to call for cops. And if you are listening, we would suggest if if you need to interact with the, if you need emergency services, go ahead. And um, if, if, if it suits you, um, look for alternatives in your area and uh, post little post-its around the house so that you can refrain from calling the cops to keep people safe. And I yeah, think it's I think beneficial to. I'm sorry, Shannon. I think it's beneficial right. to um, to even just do a quick Google search of things that are truly necessary to call the cops for, because mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the times people don't realize that they do have alternatives. Um, they think that cops are the only option. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, there are plenty of resources that will tell you. Um, I've even seen a diagram um, of like, is this happening? If so, do this. <laughs> if it's not, do this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that we can avoid having people's lives taken from them. Yes. Um, put in the research. It is so worth it and it might save a life. Um, did, did everybody talk about what they wanted to talk about on um, that subject? Yeah, I, I think so. All right. So um, we're, we're going to try to keep our clients safe and keep us safe. And there's, if you are uncomfortable with a goal because they involve, you know, cops or service workers, um, go ahead and talk to your BCBA about it. And lastly, this is just a recap. Lastly, um, ask families and give them the autonomy of which uh, emergency workers they want to actually interact with. Because I love autonomy. That is just so delicious. Don't we so, all? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I let's uh, let's turn a little bit and um, talk about upward movement. What do you think? I am. I'm. I'm going back to college. I think I'm going to try to go back to college this year. So everybody, wish me luck. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm really excited to. Uh, be more uh, valuable, uh, at least in terms of education to the company. And I know that this company has a couple, uh, actually a lot of resources to help people into college and I'm excited to utilize them and maybe become a BC, BCABA or a speech pathologist or a BCBA maybe eventually. So like, yes, go me. <laughs> yes, go you, yeah. totally here for it. So I think that upward movement is, absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it should be required. I think that companies and organizations shouldn't allow their employees to sit in any one spot forever. There mm -hmm. should always be something that they can aspire to. 
Um, I think that's necessary because when people are stagnant, they become miserable. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know of a case where that hasn't been the case. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is imperative that companies are intentional about, um, and I mean, there, there may be people who genuinely love where they're at and what they do. They may want to do that for the rest of their lives. But what a company and organization, organization can do is be intentional about reaching out, be intentional about asking the questions um, and ensuring that, you know, their employees are happy. Mm -hmm. um, and even for ourselves, because accountability, right? We can ourselves seek out those opportunities. We can reach out to our superiors and be like, hey, look, I'm bored. <laughs> What's next? Um, I just want to shout out because I think that a lot of the times we um, are talked bad about. So I just want to shout out the millennials of the world. Yeah, thank um, you. I do, think, <laughs> I do think that we have gotten a bad rap in the world of um, the world of work. Um, we we've been called lazy. We don't want to work. We don't stay places long. But the reality is, millennials are of the most educated group of people on this planet. Um, the most qualified group of people on this planet. And I think the shift that happened is that we, we went to college wanting to work in our passions, whereas the generations before us did things for survival. And so our world is completely different. We want to be happy with what we're doing and where we're working. And that completely changes our view on how companies treat us. Mm -hmm. um, so all that to say, shout out to Katie and as well, they do a good job mm -hmm. of, um, you know, making sure that the opportunities are there or at least having the conversations about the opportunities. Um, of course, there's always work to be done. There's always areas to improve. Um, but for the most part, Katie does a great job. I agree with you, Jeremy. I think Cadian's doing a lot of good things, um, especially with the Ethics, Diversity, Inclusion Committee and having that and also just putting little other things in place to help with that professional development, like having a support supervisor that you can talk to about different things outside of just the clinical stuff. I think mm -hmm. that it's so important and it's really needed. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um. Does anybody else want to talk about their upward movement? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, of course. Yeah, so actually, I will be moving on um, into a different role with a different company um, as a clinical director. And so it's a really great opportunity for me because I'm really looking for that growth. And I'm always thinking of the next step. So now that I have this role, what's next for me? So I always want to continue to like progress and move forward. And I couldn't, I couldn't pass it up. 
So um, with this company, they really value diversity as well. And I'll be working with um, a lot of other uh, team members of color. And I'm super excited to have that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I'm sad to leave Cadian because I've had such a good experience here. But like you said, you really have to do what's best for you. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's moving, moving on. But um, yeah. I'm so proud of you. So sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to be a Debbie Downer about it because <laughs> I want to celebrate you and I want to celebrate what you're what you're taking on and what you're doing for us as people of color. Yeah. Because a, clini a, a clinical director that is black is yeah. a big deal. That's a that big is a deal. huge deal. Mm -hmm. um, but with that comes you leaving me. Oh, you'll stay in touch. You gotta find me on uh Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that honestly, I I'm just so proud because um staying hungry is something that I need to work on because like as soon as I'm comfortable, I feel like there's just so much damage control that I have to do in like the rest of my life that I just kind of stay where I am and like try to stay stable because stability has been really elusive throughout a lot of my life and like whenever you stay hungry and you do do a little bit of change um it kind of like uproots your very calm and predictable schedule and life and while um, upward advancement is really good it's also really scary and I'm and I'm doing my best to try to stay hungry and and to keep applying myself and to keep on keep an eye out for like um, to, for better opportunities and to actually accept them if I get them instead of staying where I'm at because it's it's really easy to have loyalty to a job or a place um, because they've offered you like the first stability that you've ever seen in your mm. life. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like with millennials, especially millennials, and especially especially people of color. Um, staying loyal to just jobs is something that a lot of us do and we need to get out of that we need to stay mm -hmm. hungry and look for better opportunities instead of staying where you are and being loyal because you like the way that you're perceived when you do that so um i am so proud that you are doing that and i'm working on that myself i'm doing my best to <clears throat> try to stay hungry myself even though i have a per a personal tendency to just uh stay loyal to places where i don't need to stay loyal to so it's like um uh my my stepdad always used to say um don't fall in love with no job like always stay hungry don't fall in love with no job because no job loves you <laughs> um we we do love you sharon of course but you know what i mean when i say that yeah yeah, and I I agree with you too. Um, for me, I I don't like change, <laughs> so for me, like doing this is a big thing for for me. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like you said, and I wanted to read off that quote, but my phone died, so now I can't do it. Oh, no. I know that would have been <laughs> perfect. Of course, it was at one percent. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially, what it says is not to stay loyal or attach yourself to a company or to, to a person, but to attach yourself to a message and a bigger purpose. And so that's what I'm trying to do. 
Yeah. I'm so proud. Get it, Sharon. You're paving the way for the rest of us. And I can't be any more proud than that because I am extremely proud wow. um, yeah. to have worked with someone who is making it happen out here in the world. Like, mm -hmm. again, it's so major, Sharon. And I, I really need you to understand uh, thank you. how major it is. That, that is huge. That for is huge and we're all for, for people of color, for, <laughs> for, you know, the profession. It's a big deal. Yeah. Thank you. That means a lot. You guys are doing big things, too. I look up to you so much, Sharon. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely stay in touch. Um, uh, uh, Jeremy, did you have a, um, a, like, a decolonization segment for today? Um... Yes, I can slip one in real quick. So um, I kind of want to just um, continue to speak on um, alternatives to calling police. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's our duty to realize that everyone has not had favorable experiences with the police. We've seen this in the media. We've seen it in our own communities. Um, and I think it is imperative that we be intentional about making sure that we understand the traumas of our clients that we serve. Um, even for Black people working in this profession, we have to understand that our traumas are not the same as other people of color's traumas. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to as well be abreast of what that means. What does it mean for a little Vietnamese kid or a little Hispanic kid um, or Latinx kid, I'm sorry, um, to interact with the police? What does that mean for them? We need to have those conversations with their parents um, and just make sure that we're doing the work and being consistent um, and not just asking when we start services, but check in, check in constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and even as leadership, have that conversations with your supervisees. You know, how just how are you doing today? Mm -hmm you know, after seeing something in the news or in your community or whatever the case may be, just check in. It's necessary, it's needed, and it could save a life. Yes, I love that. Yes, <laughs> thank you. That was so good. And um, any anything else before we wrap up episode four? I think that was Just it. that again, I'm super proud of you, Sharon. I'm going to miss you to pieces. Do not go ghost on us because I will no. come and find you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, I but I'm serious. You guys. Um, but yeah, I love this. You guys are amazing. And I mean, I'll still be here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks right. everybody for listening again yes <laughs> I, I hope you're hooked now that you've listened to four episodes thank you Sharon. thank you jeremy oh and one more thing one more thing oh my gosh i wasn't on the last episode but i wanted to shout y'all out on an episode because it was all women last episode which was amazing y'all were beautiful you spoke beautifully it was it was great it was great so i definitely want to shout out to black women out here doing y'all thing shout out to kia i have had the opportunity to work with her um after the after y'all did the podcast i'm actually on the case with her right now she is amazing absolutely love her so shout out to y'all shout out to black yeah. women and Shauna too, right? Shout out yeah, to Shauna. Sure. I've worked with her before. I've done trainings and town halls with Shauna before. Shauna is also 
amazing. And yes, um, I, I always love working with her and speaking with her and I love her hot takes. She's, she's very yes. cool. Good. <laughs> All right, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. This has been a Cadient production.